find that today you're pulled toward newer, better, bigger things? Is your world driven by getting to the next success, to the next win, to the next upgrade? Do you struggle to find satisfaction, contentment, and consistency? An effort to stay ahead in the game is debt building up around you. Are you out of energy? Are you out of hope? What if you were able to let go of that feeling to strive for more? What if you could live in a place of peace, knowing you were taken care of? What if you no longer needed to worry about measuring up? What if living with less is actually living with more? Well, good morning, North Shore. Good. I am Scott Harris, the lead pastor here. And I am, I've got to confess, okay? It's always scary when your pastor has to start with a confession. Um, I'm coming in with a little bit of a limp this morning. Um, my dear Huskies uh, lost yesterday. And I wish it wouldn't matter so much to me, but on a pass interference by Oregon at fourth and three, that was our game. And so anyway, so give me a little grace today as I'm still recovering. Um, now you have to know this about me. I actually grew up in eastern Washington, so I grew up uh, a Cougars fan. So you Cougar fans there know this, as my heart uh, is there as well. My sister-in-law works for WSU, so I can't be one of those Huskies that hate the Cougars. That doesn't happen in our home, right? Um, but um, uh, kind of an acquaintance of mine. I won't call him a friend because I'd be stretching the truth. Uh, but somebody I did know and played football with, um, Steve Etman ended up going to Washington. So some of you older fans know that name. I played football against him, or at least I tried to get in his way and he ran me over, is the truth of the story. Um, but anyway, became a Huskies fan. Uh, so I'm trying to get through that and uh, make sure I could just separate that, right? Now, I love you guys, appreciate you. If you need a Bible, shoot your hand up and we'll get a Bible to you. When you get there, turn to Genesis 12. We're gonna be in Genesis this morning. And I am going to bring us into some real tension, okay? Some real tension. Because you know we are in a series called Too Much. And it's a book written by Gary Johnson, who spoke last weekend here. Did an amazing job. It was an honor to have the author of the book speak. And so it's interesting with these books. You know, uh, we were giving them out. Now, we asked for a $5 donation, so I don't know if that is giving or not, but we gave these out and said, hey, let's read this book together, okay? So our first tension is, I'm going to ask you a question from the book. So let's pray. Father God, we love you, and we just are so grateful and so thankful for who you are and what you're doing. Uh, and as Brittany mentioned, Father, we want to create sacred space here. Leave behind all the worries that are outside this room right now, and this is your time. And so we want to be here with our whole heart, open-handed, saying, speak to us. We want to encounter and engage Almighty God. And so, Father, would you speak your word to us? Would you move in our hearts and shift our lives and change them with the beautiful hope that is Jesus Christ? And so now, open-handed, we come before you. Teach us, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, your pop quiz. You ready? Okay. 
It's in the chapter we're supposed to read this week. Okay. What is the national motto of the United States? Come on, can you hear it? What's the motto? In God we trust. Yes, in God we trust. In 1956, that motto became the official U.S. motto. Okay? And it came at a time during the Cold War. You youngsters don't remember that. Us that grew up in those decades, what was taking place, it was the nuclear um, rise with Russia and the U U.S., and money was just being spent um, to build this arsenal. And it was this cold war because no weapons were fired, but it says, hey, and it says, equal annihilation, right? And we lived with that. You Ozzy Osbourne fans out there, there shouldn't be any of you, okay, so we're speaking to those online, um, right, um, <laughs> is this. Crazy Train, that song, I know, you've never heard it, I know, I know, um, is this, uh, is about that, okay, is about that nuclear tension. And what the people of America said, hey, we're going to spend money, we're going to build this war machine, but we want to send a message to our Russian counterparts, okay, which is an atheist nation, okay, and they said, for the U.S., we're going to stand alone in trusting God. In God, we trust. We're going to put that on all of our currency, okay, and let the world hear that the United States does not trust in what this money can provide. We don't believe money can bring hope, security, contentment, or happiness. It's in God and God alone, okay? And that comes from Psalm 20, verse 7. It says this, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Amen? Come on, right? Uh, so that's our motto. But is it true? Is it true? Gary spoke last week and started talking about some evidence that has been shown a shift in our trust from God to money. He mentioned debt, right? Great message. Uh, great because it was convicting. He's like, ugh. He said, we are at the breaking point. The consumer debt is so high in the church, outside of the church, that it's breaking us. I still can't quite grab this one. It breaks my heart, though. He says that bankruptcy filing is at an all-time high for our senior citizens. Toward the end of life, People are having to file bankruptcy because we're chasing money. Another evidence is the pressure in our homes. The financial pressure is so great that our homes are falling apart. The number one cause for divorce is financial pressure. The chasing of more and more and more money, money, money. It's destroying our homes, our families, which are the foundation of any society. And lastly, I mean, it lands right here in the church. I told you we're going to go to real tension, so hold on. I love you. Know this, okay? It's in giving. We know the marker for Christian giving is 10%. In the Great Depression, the average Christian gave 3.3% of their income. When we were at our economic low point, right, the Great Depression, the national average today, 2.5%. We were below that when, uh, during the Great Depression. How sad. Okay, here comes the tension. Again, I, I love you. 
Okay, just know this. Know my heart. But at North Shore, our giving percentage per person, on average, okay, some of you are amazing, so uh, is 1.8%. Yeah, I heard a while. Yeah, okay. So let's just sit back in this, right? 1.8%. Because of this, there's been a shift. We have shifted from our, and our trust has changed from God to money. We believe that our hope, our happiness, our security, our future is in the dollar and not God. So we need to learn how to trust. How do you build trust? So we're going to go to Abraham, Genesis 12, and we're going to look at his journey as God walked through him, the great Abraham of Scripture, and he taught him some lessons on how to trust. So turn to Genesis 12. We're starting verse 1. And the first lesson is in trusting God's plan. Genesis 12, verse 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, and know this, okay, God ended up through this call changing Abram's name to Abraham that we know. I'm not going to be teaching on that, so I'll say Abraham, but it's Abram. And his wife, Sarai, he changed it to Sarah. He increased their calling, and he validated that with a name change. She was Sarai, and he changed it to Sarah, just so you know. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred, that's your family, and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I'll make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here it is. Abraham's call. God calls him to go, and then I'm going to show you where to go. Okay, just famous lines like God's going to call Abraham out of his place and he's going to show him later. Um, yes, he does that. But he says, hey, when you go and I'm going to show you later, I'm going to take you to a place and I'm going to bless your socks off. When I was reading that, uh, the, the phrase blessed you showed up huge. I don't even know how time I should have counted it before. But God said, I'm going to bless you wildly. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your name. I'm going to bless the land. I'm going to bless you with uh, nations. I'm going to bless future generations with you. And that's us. Because the lineage of Jesus comes through Abraham. So you're sitting here today because of this story. God says, I'm going to bless you incredibly. But there's more to this calling in Genesis 12. If you look at Genesis 11, right at the end of the chapter, you can scroll up or look back, and don't go here, but Genesis, or Acts 7 also speaks of it. So we look closer at this calling, what we see that this calling in Genesis 12 is in Haran, a town in southern Turkey, okay? I don't know if there's a map in here or not, but so, so just think of up way up north, okay? Uh, but that's his second calling. He actually was called in Ur, in southern Iran, a long distance away. God appeared to him, it says in Acts 7. 
and spoke to him and called him, called him to leave his kindred, his family, and to leave his father's house. What that means this is to leave his influence and his provision and then go to a land I'll show you. And we learned that he showed him quickly where this land was. It's Canaan, Palestine, Israel today, the promised land. Go there. That's where I'll take you. But what did Abraham do? Did he go? Yes. Did he leave his family? No. He took his nephew Lot. He took his father. And did he go to Canaan? No, he went to Haran. And that's where Genesis 12 comes in. Because here's the struggle. Okay. Abraham only partially followed God. He only followed God's plan physically partway and obedience only partway. Because here's what he did. Abraham said, you know what? Yeah, you've got this plan. I trust it, kind of. I kind of trust this plan. And so I'm going to follow it just partially. I'm not going to fully trust you, God. And he sets out. And there's the things we have to know when we follow God only part way or only partially, that we're not fully obedient to him. We cause problems. For Abraham, here's the problems he caused. He caused a delay in God's blessing. See, he was called to Canaan. And if you look at, don't go there, chapter 26 in Genesis, we see his son, Isaac, is found in the same situation. And God calls it out and says, hey, this famine, just like your father, or excuse me, uh, I'm going to come back. That wasn't the point I want to make. Here's the point I want to make, okay, is in Joshua. Uh, God had a plan for him and to go to Canaan and to establish God's kingdom. What Joshua says in chapter 24, he says this. He says, your father, Abraham, not speaking to Abraham, he's speaking to the whole Israel nation before going to the promised land. And he calls out Abraham's father as serving other gods, Okay. So he says, I want to call you from Ur to Canaan. Leave your family, because most of us say this. We want God's blessing. Well, why wouldn't God want to bring his family? God loves family. I love family. What's the issue? This isn't a mean God moment. What he's saying is this. You've got to leave your father and his household and your relatives because I'm going to establish the kingdom of God. It's going to be my chosen people. And I can't have the influence of someone who's serving idols and other gods. So you've got to separate from him. It's not a mean moment. It's God trying to establish his kingdom here on earth, okay, through Abraham. And so it delays his blessing. God wants him to go and he's going to bless his socks off. But they have to deal with the father issue. They go halfway and they go to Haran versus Canaan. And then something else happens there. Abraham and God have this beautiful relationship. It's beautiful. You see so many times that Abraham is uh, building altars to God, speaking to him, and God speaks to him and interacts with him. It's wonderful. But there's a few moments 
There's a few moments that God is silent. Haran is one of them. So there in Haran, God and him are not interacting because it creates a distance. We go only partially. What happens is that place that we're not following God's plan, not trusting it, begins to go silent. We shut our ears off to what God has to say in his calling. And that's what happened to Abraham. You know, it wasn't until that his father died that God spoke. And he uses his word in Acts 7, that God had to go in and remove him, it says. And that word in Greek for removed is like taking a captive prisoner, right? And taking him away. So God finally interrupted, because God's will will be done. He said, Aaron, we got a plan, come on. I'm going to do something. I made a, a covenant, and I'm going to see it through. So come on. But it doesn't happen until he separates from his father. And that relationship is restored, that distance. And lastly, we see in Abraham that when we do not follow God, when he didn't follow, follow God fully, it brought later problems for him. Because what happens is we follow God this way, trust him there, but it's only partially. This other area that we're not following God fully, we start bringing other elements along with us that were not intended to be there. You know, just a, a side story, but kind of illustrates it just a little bit. I love navigation when I'm driving, right? Pop it on there. I like Waze, okay? Put that on there. Uh, and the reality is I like it because it tells you where the cops are, Okay? <laughs> Uh, I know, I, I almost need to apologize. It's the truth. And I really, uh, so my law enforcement friends, that's why I love you, appreciate you. And the only reason I want to know where the cops are so they could stop me and tell me how well I'm doing and holding all the laws, okay? Uh, I know. Uh, uh, and so I love all the information ways and I follow it, uh, but I've got this other thing that wars inside me. I like to go the scenic route. The shortcut. Uh, I don't know directions. I just feel directions. Like I know it's over there, right? And I can get us there, my poor wife. So, and this happens all the time, but one time, her, uh, with her parents, my parents-in-law, right, scary, we're going down to Snoqualmie to have dinner at this cool place. And so we take off from our home in Lake Stevens, and off we go. I set up ways. It's got this great, straight, nice path it's going to take us. But boy, I know it's over there in the mountains and the rivers and here we go. So I, I went my own way. Anyway, amen. Yes. Um, I got lost. Um, I turned around. Um, every once in a while they say, hey, are we lost? Of course I would say no because I know we're going over there. But I'm turning. I'm spinning. It just um, finally said, I'm going to follow ways. And I did that. We got there. But when we got there, I brought some elements that were not supposed to be at this nice fancy dinner. They were a group of mad people because it took us a long time. And there are people that were motion sickness. So uh, you can't enjoy a great meal when you're sick, right? And um, we love them. They know that about me. But in a more serious way, that's what happened to Abraham. He brought Lot, his nephew, along. He was not supposed to bring him. He only partially trusted in God's plan. And that caused problems. And if you know anything about Lot, his nephew, he caused all kinds of problems. We could have a month just talking about all the problems he caused us. But one of the major things, how serious it was, is Lot's descendants he created two kingdoms that were the enemies of Israel, and they warred against them. So what God wants for us is to trust his plan fully. What's he have? Luke eleven twenty eight tells us what God has for us. <clears throat> 
It says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. What it's saying here is this. Is God blesses our obedience. So when you obey God, you give him this decision, path with your life, situation, whatever it is. He says, I will show up like I said I would, and I'll bless that. When we hold back or hide things from God, he says, I can't, and I, and I put this in quotes. I don't want to get in a theological conversation, right? Can God bless it anyway? Yes, okay? Um, but what he does is he blesses our faithfulness, and that's what we have to start with. So he doesn't bless that. We hold it back from him. God says in Romans 12, 1, right? Offer your body as living sacrifices. What he's saying there is all of you, if you want to know what my will is, verse 2 in Romans 12, then you have to give me all of you. All of you. Don't we want all of God's blessings? Yes. But it's going to take all of us. We've got to give all of him. So Abraham, a wonderful solution for him comes this, is he finally, after a little hiatus that I'll talk about in a few minutes, to Egypt, he returns, and what happens to him is he finally obeys God fully. Him and Lot finally separate Okay, finally separate. They get up there. I'm not sure why he did it this way, but Abraham said, hey, our people are fighting. Lot, you're causing all kinds of problems. And so God told me his plan was to leave my kindred, my family, my father's household. The influence, that's what a household means, is the influence of that, the spiritual influence. Had to leave. He says, okay, I'm going to separate. So Lot, you choose what you want to do. And Lot, being Lot, says, okay, I'll take that valley, the Jordan Valley, which is to the east, and it's all green and nice, and there's this amazing city called Sodom, right? And if you, you kind of know in the scripture, that's not a great place, but oh, it looked good. All the nightlife there was pretty amazing, right? Um, and so I choose that, he says. Abraham says, okay. So he chooses that, and he steps into Canaan. He actually returns uh, uh, to a place called Ai in Bethel, right where he started He entered the land. So he's back to his starting point in the hill country that doesn't look as good as the Jordan Valley. And God comes and does a little show and tell to him. He says, take a look around. Take a look around. And this is in chapter 13. He says, look at everywhere you see the dust on the ground. All of it is this promised land. It's what I have for you. He renews his blessing. In fact, this land eventually would be called the land flowing with milk and honey. If you go to Israel, it's amazing and beautiful and so resourceful. Blows your mind. But if you look over your shoulder to the east, to the place Lot went, it, it's not real eye-appealing anymore. It's a tough, tough space. Uh, but that's what God did. When he followed God fully, God unleashed his blessings to him. And that's what our lesson is in that, is to trust God fully. When we trust God fully, and we follow God's plan, what that unleashes to us is God's full blessing. And that's my prayer over you, is I want you to have all of God's blessings. The next lesson for Abraham is trusting God's protection. And so we have to kind of go back up, Genesis 12, verse 10. 
So when he first enters in Canaan, he's there for a little while, uh, got great wealth. Um, all of a sudden, something happens. Genesis 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to live there temporarily. For the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Here's what's cool. She's 75 years old and she's hot. Okay, so ladies, woo, right? Um, <laughs> I know you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Come on, I heard a bunch of amens out there. Go. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Oh, and here you have. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, okay, that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared. Now, she was his sister, but that wasn't the primary relationship. She's his half-sister. And before you get all icky and gross, it's a whole different time, okay? Um, okay? Uh, you, can, you can contemporarily get icky and gross, because that's okay. Um, uh, but her primary relationship, the full truth, was she was his wife. Okay? So what happened is, is he's in Canaan, and a famine hits. And this famine is severe. And the, the word famine just means hardship. So we don't know exactly what took place. We just know uh, Abraham had a lot of stuff, a lot of people, a lot of wealth, a lot of security in that. And this hardship came, and he got scared, and he ran. He ran south to Egypt. Egypt had the, the fertile Nile Valley, and he was going to go down there where it was easier living. So he runs scared to Egypt. He arrives, and we see that he gets scared for his life because Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is there. He says, he might hurt me. So my hot 75-year-old wife, um, uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to give you over to, to them to be his wife so that I could protect me and all my things. See, here's the problem. The problem is this that Abraham let fear be the voice of God. He let fear start guiding and instructing him and not God. So, so often, a challenge comes in our life, and guess what? It starts dictating what we do. A stress comes, a tough situation, an answer you didn't expect. All of a sudden, we start letting that voice be God. We let fear be the voice of God. Fear is never intended to be the voice of God. Because what happens is we let fear be the voice of God, we start missing. We start missing things, okay? There's things that we miss. And what we see at Abraham missed, when he started listening to fear, the first thing we see is he begins to miss God's blessing. And God's opportunity. See, Canaan was where he was supposed to be. And I use Genesis 26 for this. Because Isaac, his son, later, and God speaking to Isaac, refers to this. He says, a famine came when Isaac was in Canaan, just like for your father, Abraham. But I want you to stay. God called Abraham to Canaan. Okay? And yes, did a famine and hardship come? Yes. Did he know what was going to happen? No. But God said, this is where I called you to be. 
I'm going to guarantee you, James 1 tells you, tough times, trials, things that you don't understand are going to come. And God says, I'm going to use that to grow you. Exercise a muscle that you don't have. And I believe Abraham missed an opportunity to grow. Right there, to trust God fully. He also missed this. He missed the opportunity to be who God has him to be. Right? Do you think God had a man of faith to be running scared and to be a liar? No. But when fear became the voice of God, he sidestepped it. And he, he stepped into that. He let fear make him, take him out of the place that God had him to be. Interesting, last year, I saw this a, kind of an amazing moment. It was a time, very scary. A friend of mine uh, got one of those doctor appointments, one of those diagnoses, prognoses, you know, that was really scary, really scary. And we were all scared. We were praying like crazy. And, of course, fear was there, understandably. And she said this to me. Because I asked her, you know, how are you doing? She says, I don't want to miss a moment that God has for me in this. Powerful because it shifted my whole faith and understanding and my calling. Because what she's saying is, I want to be who I am in Christ right now. She says, my life has been relatively easy before. But this is tough. And fear is great. But I want to be who God has me to be in this. Abraham missed that opportunity. The great Abraham. Running, lying, scared, letting fear be the voice of God. The other miss he had, he missed the opportunity to protect people. Imagine being Sarah, his wife. I'm going to talk to the ladies right now. Uh, the married ladies, all the ladies. Imagine your husband doing that. I'm afraid for me. Go sleep with that guy, be his wife, so that I will be protected. And you could couch that in any journey you want. We're not really generally giving wives away, but there's times that people just sell people out, the heart and emotion. He had this opportunity to protect his wife, and he let fear be the voice of God and stepped into that. Think of Pharaoh the king of Egypt, and I know he's usually the villain here and we don't give sympathy, but we go a little bit because his whole household, these plagues hit and all the people that worked for him. When he let fear be the voice of God, um, he hurt all those people versus protect them. But here's the biggest thing in that. I think he hurt God. See, God was going to establish a nation with him. God's chosen people. He's going to be the ambassador for God on earth. He's going to represent God on earth to people. He's going to get this established. And so that ambassador is running scared and lying. What do you think that did for his testimony? I believe it broke God's heart. So he missed this opportunity to protect people. But the good news, right? Here we go. Woo! Uh, Abraham eventually stepped into who God has us to be in the Holy Spirit, and that's uh, seen in 2 Timothy 1.7. Listen to this. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
Let me read that again. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That's the spirit God gave us. Abraham finally stepped into that because he got tired of it. So he got back uh, from Egypt, and he says, okay, I told you about his knucklehead nephew, Lot. Well, they separated right after that. And eventually what happened, you know, Lot was over in Sodom area. All the kings in the region got into this huge fight. And they're all battling and fighting and stuff. And Lot got captured. And all of a sudden, this scared, lying Abraham becomes a special force guy, right? Um, all of a sudden, he becomes this war hero. And I love it because he went up there and he... Uh, he took everybody out. Okay, that's the better way to phrase that. I couldn't tell you what came in my mind, okay? Um, it totally took everybody out, man. He's this war hero. He went and freed everybody's possession. He freed Lot, freed all the women, it says. He was this incredible war hero. He was full of courage and not fear because he didn't let fear be the voice of God, and he stepped in and did something amazing. Spirit of power, not of fear, he had. He wasn't worried about his safety. Then after that battle, as he was talking to one of the kings that he had freed, the king of Sodom, another king shows up, okay? The king of Salem or the king of Jerusalem, Melchizedek. And many of you get really excited because it's this mystery person in Scripture. I'm not going to talk a lot about that, but what we do know that this was a king and priest. And what Abraham did was cool. Okay, is he went to this priest, you know, the representative of faith, the person that he submitted to, his church, if you want to do, and he tithed a tenth of everything he had. So no longer was wealth and protecting that the first thing. He was content. He said, here's the tithe, God first, my first and my best. No longer fear. And the king of Sodom said, hey, why don't you take the bounty, all the bounty? And he says, No. Basically, everything is God's. I don't need it. Or the reputation will be that man made Abraham rich. What he's saying is this. I am content with what God has me. He will determine my wealth, my riches, and the things that he has. It's God, God first. I'm content. I'm not going to chase money, though it sits right there before him. It's amazing. So what Abraham did is he totally shoved and pushed away the idea of fear being the voice of God. And my friends, that's what we have to do. We have to stop letting fear be the voice of God. We have to stop letting fear be the voice of God. The next lesson we see is God wants us to trust in his promises. The next lesson for him is trusting in God's promises. In Genesis 15, turn there, and this is probably one of the areas that Abraham is uh, very famous for. Genesis 15, verses 1 through 3. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. I love this. He's going to kind of look back and a little review for him. He says, fear not, Abram. I am your shield, right? I'm going to protect you, your safety. You don't have to worry about that. Your reward shall be very great. All your wealth, all those things. Don't worry, I've got you. I have you. <laughs> but, right? There's always a but in every story, right? Uh, but, Abram said, 
O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house, Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Here's what he's saying, God. Yeah, I know that you have promised me. You have promised me this future blessing, all this incredible blessing, um, but I don't have a son, and I can only be the father of many nations if I have a son. So he gets to a place where he's not trusting in God's promise. Yes, he acknowledges it's there. He could put it on his lips, but he doesn't trust it. He doesn't trust the timing of it. I need it right now. The need is here right now. Lord, you've got to do it now. Pastor Ken said this statement a couple weeks ago, and I loved it. He says, in God's timing, God is seldom early, but he's never late. His timing is perfect, right? It's us that struggles with timing, not God. So they didn't trust the promise of God and the timing of it. And they didn't trust in the method that God was going to use. Here's the deal. They're saying, hurry, God, because we are old. Sarah's um, in her late 70s. Abraham's 86. And when God comes and tells them that he's going to um, give them an heir, they actually laugh at him. That's your timing? That's your method? No way. Ha, 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 God. All right? They didn't trust in God's promises that he gave them. God's redeeming every story, and we know God always shows up. But here's what he does. And you don't have to turn here, but Genesis 21, uh, God shows up in a big way. He shows up to them, and he says, you two are going to have a son. Okay? Because what they did before is they took matters into their own hand. They couldn't wait for God. So Sarah came up with this plan, went and talked to Abraham and said, hey, I'm going to give you uh, my servant, Hagar. And you are going to take her and be with her, and we will get this party started because we're going to be the father of many nations. Because, yeah, he promised that. We know it, but his time and his methods aren't perfect, so we'll step in. We'll do it our way a little bit. And they had Ishmael. Ishmael is the father of of the Arab nation. Is there a little tension between Israel and the Arab nation today? Our very lives are impacted by that every single day. Try to go to an airport, huh? Right? Um, every day, it's a huge issue. Some of the same old things happening. But God shows up in chapter 21 and says, I want you to, you're going to do this. I'm going to fulfill my promises. This is 13 years later they had to wait. Imagine what those 13 years were like. 13 years later, God comes in and he shows up and he gives them a son named Isaac. Their true son. God was going to have his blessing, his covenant given through Isaac. Shows up. God always shows up in his timing. He says this in uh, Genesis 18, 14. I love this. He makes this statement to them as they're questioning God's promises and his timing and his method. He says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? What would be your answer to that? Probably do this. 
but our lives say, you can't fix this one. This one's too hard. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands because I don't trust your timing and your methods. But Joshua 21, Joshua looks back at all of Israel's history and he states this, not one of all of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. You can trust God's promises. Every single one of them will come true. In whose timing? In whose way? In God's. One of my favorite verses is Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Doesn't that sound good? One of the most quoted scriptures out there. I'm going to call this, I was going to say, here's the problem. Here's the good news about that. It was spoken to people who were going into captivity. How long were they in captivity? 70 years. Hey, he says, this is true. I'm going to give you all of these promises, my people. But guess what? My timing and my methods are not yours. And we're going to do it this way. We are very glad that those 70 years happened. Speak a lot about those 70 years, but the point being, it brought together a nation ready to be the nation of Israel. And we needed them that because, as I said, Jesus came from there. So the lesson is this, that we can trust, you can trust God's promises, all of God's promises, no matter how challenging, how scary, how almost unexplainable your situation is, God's promises will come true in his perfect timing. Have faith in that morning. And that's our last point. He takes Abraham to this real testing moment. And probably what Abraham is most famous for is in Genesis 22. Turn there. Genesis 22. We all know about this story. It's an amazing story. We have a hard time really taking this story in. But it's a story of Abraham's faith test. Where he takes all three lessons he's learned in his journey and they come to fruition, and he, we see him stepping out in faith. Because here's what faith is. Faith is trust in action. So faith is trust in action. Faith is the feat of trust. Trust is a, a state of being, a mindset. Faith is it in action, in a movement. So Abraham puts this trust that he's learned into action. Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2. But the whole chapter talks about this. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Does this story sound real familiar? It's a, a repeat, an opportunity from all the lessons he's learned. And we see Abraham live out a life of trust. He trusted God's plan. He is called, in verse 3 it says in that chapter, he rose up 
early in the morning. He did not delay, did not wait. He went. God, you called. This is your plan. Okay, I'm going. He trusted God's plan fully. He trusted God's protection. Him and his son Isaac are walking up to the top of this mountain where Isaac will be the burnt offering. Now understand as we read this story in the ancient times, um, it was a little more common for child sacrifices and stuff. I know it's, uh, it's not our culture at all, so it's a little more shocking for us to hear the story, um, but it's not any less shocking for Abraham, even though there's some cultural norms around it, okay? But the point being is like, whoa. So they're heading up there, and he trusted God's protection because his son Isaac on the way up says, where's the offering? And he says this, God will provide. He trusts in God's protection. He'll provide. And his sense is, we're not going to worry about it. We're going to keep walking and going. In the verse 9, we see that he trusted God's promise. He bound his son and laid him on the altar. Okay, I mean, it's a hard story to take in. It should be. Drew his knife. And what? there is no plan B. Because remember, to be the father of many nations, you need a son. This was his son. At this point in time, uh, he's in his hundreds now. And he says, okay, plan A, I'm about to rid. But God, I trust your promise. I trust your promise. So I'm going to do this by faith. And God is faithful. God provided a ram in the thicket, something he wouldn't expect. And there it was who became the offering for that burnt offering. Isaac was saved, and Isaac is the one that carried the covenant on, okay? Because of that moment, you sit here today, right? You sit there today because of this moment, okay? So God is faithful. He saw it through. Now I want to swing this full circle. We learned about trusting. I started talking about finances, okay? And you've got to know, I hate talking about finances, Right? I hate it. But know this. Why do we talk about money? It's the second most talked about topic by Jesus himself. The first is the kingdom of heaven. But money. So if Jesus is going to talk about it, I'm going to talk about it. There's, only, there's over 2,000 verses in scriptures about money. Why so much talk about money? Because Jesus' first concern is our heart. And money has our heart. So he wants to talk about it. He doesn't care about money. What he cares about anything that competes with your heart. And my fellow Americans, right, money has a grip on us. It had a grip on them. And so Jesus, in a beautiful, wonderful way goes to war for your heart. And he says, let's talk about money. We have to. Matthew 6, 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Jesus rolls up his sleeves and says, let's talk about this. You cannot serve God and money, Matthew 6, 24 says. Money is a heart issue. That's why we talk about it. 
That's why it's so uncomfortable. It's here, that security, that hope, that happiness is so attached to this that it terrifies us. Don't talk about this. Don't talk about this. It's why it's called a heart test. In Malachi 3.10, when they are brought out of captivity that Jeremiah talks about, and they're established, and God says, we got to get something straight here. I want to put you to the test. Malachi 3.10 says this. Bring the full tithe, that's 10%, into the storehouse. That's the church. That's where they kept their things. So bring 10% into the church that there may be food in my house, the provision it needs to do the work of God. It's a thing of faith. It's a thing of trusting God and the work that he's doing collectively through us. And thereby put me to the test. Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven, he's going to bless you like crazy for you and pour down for you blessings until there is no more need. Doesn't that sound sweet? But the gate to that is trust. Trusting God with everything. Trusting in God's plan with your money and with everything. Not letting fear be the voice of God in your finances or anything. Trusting in his protection. And trusting in his promise that he'll never leave you or forsake you. And he'll give you everything you need. You don't have to worry. Be faithful, yes. Diligent in work, diligent in generosity, yes. Be part of God's plan because you're all missionaries. Every dollar you have is to fund the mission work of God because you're a missionary. He says, I want you to give 10% to your collective body so in fact what they can do is the Lord's work. You be part of that. And the rest 90%, you keep doing the Lord's work. It's your house, the food, all the things you need to be missionaries for Jesus Christ on this earth. So the question is, will you trust God's plan, protection, and promise in your heart? Lived out in the thing that has most of our heart, and that's our money and finances. So you got a card when you came in here, okay? Um, And it says at the top of that card, in obedience to God's word and as an expression of my trust in him, and there's a few selections in the green part. Here's what I know and what I pray and I believe. A lot of you will check, I'm doing it. Praise God, victory in Jesus, yes. Be encouraged. Let this be a celebration of you walking in faith because I know a lot of you walked that out, okay? There's a lot of us that don't trust like that yet. So there's some different options. It might be a small percentage. You may not be ready for 10% or more. Start trusting God. Step in and say, God, yeah, you're going to get a little bit more of my heart. I'm not going to be so attached to all this stuff, okay? And I want you to know here, okay, you can give $10 million this month, and guess what kind of raise I'm going to get? Nothing. This isn't about stuff in pockets of us professional religious people and all the stuff that make you mad, right? Um, it's not that about all. It's about the Lord's work. It's about the heart. That's what Jesus cared about and what I care about. I don't care about your money at all. It's your heart that 
Jesus fights for and desperately wants. And that's as your pastor, what I pray over and I want to call out is your heart to love him. And I understand what Jesus taught me is that it, this has our heart. So anything that has your heart, I want to speak into that. Because there is blessings to be had, my friends, in Jesus. So we're going to meditate this morning on 2 Corinthians 9, 7. And I'm going to call the worship band to come up here. And these cards, you know, you fill out that. And Pastor King's uh, going to collect them. But I believe this is when we encounter God's word, he's going to do something. He's in the business of changing our hearts. So if he speaks to you, okay, this morning, fill out the green part, the white part. You take the white part with you. Take the green part. And the ushers will be back there with bags. Just drop it in there. Just drop it in there and say, yep, you know, this is what I'm doing. Um, we're going to pray over those things. I love you. But it's just an act of faith to say, this is what I'm doing. Okay. If you need to still talk about it with your family and say, where are we? What a great conversation. Where are we? Are we trusted in horses and chariots for our protection? The war machine. Are we trusting God? In God, we trust. Is that true of your household and your family? Talk to your family about that. Say, well, let's do this. That's scary, dad, mom. Yeah, it is scary, but God is faithful, and we're just going to be faithful, and we'll trust him, okay? Um, then bring it back next week, and Pastor Ken will come and, and share with us the final message in this series, uh, and I know what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate Jesus, and I know hearts are going to be freed, and that's what he wants. So as we reflect on 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I want you just to reflect. You might talk to your families in this moment as the band just plays underneath this as you pray, you think. But guess what? God may have spoke to you differently in an area of trust. We want to steward and shepherd that well. Okay, So that might be your moment. So whatever has your heart, wherever you're not following his plan fully, not trusting him for protection. You're letting fear be the voice. And you're having a struggle with God's timing of his promises and his methods. Give that over to Jesus. I'm going to be right here. You feel free to come up and just pray with me, okay? Because it's about the heart. So let's just take a moment of quiet. I love you, North Shore. God bless you.